brought to you by Fruitnet Media. This is Fruitbox. Hello and welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet's series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. I want these conversations to give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, this week for this specially extended edition of Fruitbox, I'm joined by three guests from various parts of the world. Why? Well, because we're here to talk about the war in Ukraine. It's a war that's happening right now here in Europe, where I am, and most of us are watching it unfold on our TV screens and in our social media feeds. But it is all very close to home for all of us. Millions of Ukrainians are now refugees in Europe, three million in three weeks. And many of us have friends or colleagues from Ukraine who are directly affected by this war. And I want to add too that many of us also have friends or colleagues who are from Russia and who are outraged by what is being done in their name. But this is not the focus of our discussion on Fruitbox this week. Instead, I want to talk about some of the short, medium and longer term impacts on fresh produce markets that result from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I'm delighted to be joined down the line from Italy by Fabio Zanesco of VIP, from Argentina by Juan Gonzalez Pita of Salix Fruits, and from South Africa by Justin Chadwick of the South African Citrus Growers Association. A big fruit, do- fruit box welcome to all of you. Now, Fabio, let, let me come uh, to you first there in Italy. You're in apples, you live and work in Italy, and you work your fruit right across Europe as well as in other parts of the world. Now, this war is happening in your backyard. It's less than a month old, as I've said. So tell us about some of the immediate impacts that you've seen on the business here in Europe. Uh, Surely we saw in the last decade that the geopolitics uh, is really impacting strongly on our our business. Uh, We started uh, in 2014 with the Russian ban. So it was in August, we were in Istanbul for Prognos Ruit when we normally look at the forecast of the European apple production. And we, the door to Russia was shut up because of the first problems uh, in uh, Crimea and uh, what happened in 2014. And then everything started changing, particularly in the business with the eastern part of our continent. So starting in 2014, our Russian sales were brought very rapidly to zero. But it was not only us, obviously. It was particularly Poland that was affected as being the biggest producer in Europe and the biggest exporter into Russia. I mean, we have to remember Russia is the first world importer of fresh apples, around a million tons. So we're not talking small uh, figures. And Poland was at the time providing around 30% of that uh, amount of apples. Plus Italy, France, we were all exporters since many, many years to Russia. And obviously that place had to be taken by someone else. Then uh, both our Northern and Southern Hemisphere colleagues and friends started increasing their export to Russia. As for Europe or the Northern Hemisphere, it was mainly Moldavia, was Serbia, 
and then Azerbaijan were the three biggest exporters. But then our our work with Russia was really changing. I mean, this Russian metals changed the whole business. After that, Poland had to find the new export market, so Russia changed everything. Uh, the Russian push to Egypt made uh, Egypt as one of the main uh, um, exporting uh, destinations for uh, Polish apples. Obviously, Belarus was very important as a door, we have to say, to Russia somehow, but also as a country that was consuming apples, as well as Ukraine. So the, the Russian part of Europe without Russia was very important. Then in 2020, this year, we had the Belarus ban. So even Belarus was closed. And that was the start you know, of a slopery slope, uh, bringing things every time worse. So we lost Belarus, basically Poland lost Belarus, more than 100,000 tons of fruits. And with the logistics problems that we are having at the moment post-COVID, there's no way to find new destinations. You can't simply move apples from one year market that you reach by truck to an overseas market. So yeah, the apples are not finding enough destinations at the moment. Every market that closes in an oversupplied Europe creates problems. It's affecting Poland for the most part, but it's affecting everyone. We're all in the same market. Have you seen in the last few weeks then a quite a sharp fall in price? Well, um, not really, not at the moment, because Russia was absorbing some very specific kind of apples. Historically, Russia was uh, absorbing lower class, second class, smaller sizes, or green or acid apples. So it's not just apples. I always say there's not a market. There's a market for every variety and for every kind of apple. So surely the pressure is more on apples that were already not finding European market and already focusing on Russia because they really had not so many other destinations. At the moment, the small and greener apples are already enough under pressure in Europe. And I think you can push as much pressure as you want, but processing is the only destination at the moment, to be sincere. Let, let me turn to Juan now there in, in Buenos Aires, Juan um, Gonzalez Pita of Salix. This is having a massive impact on you as a supplier um, from Argentina in particular, but from most of your destinations, is it? Um, Russia is a very, very important market for the Argentinian business. You can you can divide the Argentinian business into two. First of all, you have the pears business, which is we are right now in the middle of the season. And then you have the citrus um, business that is just starting. The importance of Russia in the Argentinian fruit business is, first of all, it takes some categories that other markets are not taking, you know, it, it's, has, it has no requirement when it comes to MRLs, uh, whereas, you know, Europe has and the US has and stuff. So, and the, of course, the volume that it takes, it's, it's very, very big. And the other thing is that the Russians, it's a cash business. Basically, the Argentinians exporters, they collect almost, you know, 80, 90% of the money before the fruit is even arriving. And that's, it's very, very important for the cash flow for the growers and the exporters here. So at this moment, not having the chance to have that cash flow, um, it's hurting the business a lot, a lot. That's that's one thing. The other thing is the, the uncertainty of what's going to happen, especially with the ruble, you know? I don't know if you're following because since the beginning of this conflict, every single day that we wake up, which is the first thing that we do, which is, 
just Google what is the value of the ruble because that's that's the thermometer for our business, you know. And now the ruble has been, of course, is it started in at 80. I'm sorry, the yeah, uh, um, the U.S. dollar to the ruble. It started like 80 rubles per dollar. It went all the way up until 140. Now it's down back again at 100. And when you talk to the customers, basically they say, "Listen up, this is like playing a football game with with a moving goal. You know, you you, you don't know where to aim." We just want things just to settle down and to have some, some certainty. Despite of what, what people are thinking about this you know, ban on the banks and the SWIFT system, that is not affecting as much because not all the banks are, have, have been banned. So the money keeps flowing. But you know, the, I would say that the key element here is that the devaluation of the ruble, of course, is going gonna, is gonna to shrink the demand on the Russian side and the uncertainty on, on, and the volatility on the exchange rate. That is something that is not keeping the importers a lot of secure in the business. So, and then if you want to add that to that, the logistics, at one point, Argentina had like at least um, 500 containers of pairs on the water going into St. Petersburg and Musk and other shipping lines, they were coming back and forth saying, we're, we're going to load this in Europe and they're not going to go through into the, into the Baltic Sea in St. Petersburg, which is a port of entry. And then They say, okay, no, yes, we're going to send it. And then and they came back and forth like many times. So everybody was, you know, what the heck is going on? And and what is uh, the sentiment here is I was speaking, you know, every single day I talk to colleagues and everybody is, we don't know what's going to be next, you know, the following day. And when you have, when you have a market that uh, is 30% um, of your income, you know, that brings a lot of uncertainty. Justin, let me come to you. Um, the Citrus Growers Association, uh, they're in South Africa. You put out a statement earlier this week about the impact that this war is having for your growers and your exporters in, in South Africa. You send about 10% of your total citrus exports to Russia. So this is a really important deal for you. Absolutely, Chris. Um, you must remember that South Africa is a member of the BRICS trading bloc. So we we in a trading bloc with um, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Um, and as a result, the government's been very um, proactive in terms of stimulating trade between the BRICS partners. And as such, we've, we've grown our business in, in Russia over the years, um, up to, as you said, between sort of 8% and 10% of our total, which is, you know, which is significant. So um, if, if, at the moment, we're just in the beginning of our season. We're sort of in the early lemon part of our season. We've, we've, we've just exported about a million 15 kg cartons of, of lemons. And look at the figures, the, the exports to, to, um, to Russia are down. Um, last year at this time, about 200,000 of that would have been sent to Russia. This year, it's about 120,000. And from my understanding, um, shipments have basically stopped now. Um, as was said by Juan, um, the shipping companies aren't, aren't sailing that uh, to St. Petersburg. Um, Russia also is a gateway into into the rest of Eastern Europe, um, you know, through St. Petersburg port, uh, where m most, if not all, of our fruit goes. Um, it goes into the other Eastern European countries, so it's an important gateway for us, uh, and including Ukraine. You know, Ukraine was starting to grow as a um, as a important destination for South African citrus, and and really, you know, there's there's no way in at the moment. So. Um, but the longer it continues, the worse it'll get because we will be going into our, our grapefruit and our uh, mandarins and our other sectors very soon. So um, the longer it goes on, the more impact it will have. 
and, and Justin, are you are your uh, um, are you looking to place fruit there fruit therefore in other markets at the moment? I mean, you're right at the start of your season, so you're lucky in that sense. Uh, you've uh, you've got the you've got options uh, ahead of you. It was mentioned by by uh, Fabio and and Juan that that Russia takes a specific spec um, specification of fruit, you know, and. So it's not a case so easy of, of taking this bigger fruit that's preferred by the Russians and, and putting it into the European market or, or an Asian market that prefers smaller fruit or different colored fruit or whatever. So it's not, it's not really that simple, um, and, um, but it does give us a pre-warning. It's not as if it happened in the middle of the season like with our pear um, growers who, and maybe the plum guys who had fruit on the water. I mean, that's even more devastating because then to recover that is, is, is really difficult. So yes, we we in a in a in a better position than that we can plan. At least we know what's happening. Do you think you might get to the point where you decide just not to pick that particular fruit, not to try and ship that particular fruit, given the uh, given the uh, logistical issues that there are these days? It's an interesting debate, uh, Chris, because one of the other impacts of, of of the war is the the impact on the on the oil price, and we've seen that. And even before the oil price went up to the high levels it went to. Freight rates were going through the roof. I mean, absolutely incredibly, uh, incredible increases in freight rates. So our message to growers has been already to, to be very careful and do their sums in terms of what fruit to keep at home and what fruit to actually um, export. And this is going to uh, impact on that as well. You know, last year, towards the end of the year, uh, our growers had some terrible returns and they would rather have kept that fruit at home and dug a hole and put it in there. Um, so I think the same message for this year, and with the this crisis just adding to the um, uh, to the intelligence in terms of looking at your numbers carefully. Uh, Juan, uh, do you agree with the with the assessment that that Justin's made? Definitely. Um, it's, it's it's very important what he said is that the specs that they take Russians they tend to buy like larger fruit, you know, basically because like for example they like to eat the fruit as a dish, so. You know, they just, like, for example, the apples, they just cut it and they just put it in a plate. So they're looking like for the big sizes and stuff. On, on, on the contrary, like maybe more the Western um, societies, you tend to eat an apple with your hand. You know, that's basically one stuff. Something similar happened with, with the citrus. So um, it's, not, it's not very easy, you know, to find, to find home to all these places. And, and, uh, and it's... it's I mean, the challenge is, it's going to be tremendous. It's definitely for everybody. And not only, I mean, sorry. And, and what this is going to cause is it's a tsunami because I mean, in terms of, well, the, the epicenter of the problem is here, but it's going to flood other markets because you're going to see the, the consumption of fruits. I mean, even the, even the kiwi that, which is not sold, like for example, from Chile, it's not sold that much into Russia. There's, there's going to be a lot of other fruits in Europe due to the fact that, that it won't be arriving, you know, it won't be arriving um, to Russia. And that will compete like to other, you know, to other fruit that was, had more like a, an easy way into the markets, like for example, the kiwi fruit. So even people that are not in, in the Russian business are going to be affected by this. Uh, I saw you um, there uh, agreeing, um, Fabio, um, you talked about the, the the importance of the the market in Russia. One million tons of uh, of apples being consumed or imported and consumed there. Um, we don't know how long this war is is going to go on. May it end today? May it end now? 
but that seems very unlikely. And as Juan has just said, the implications of the of the of the complications of of the fruit market in Russia are going to spill out and affect uh, other markets uh, close by and a, a, a bit a bit further away. It, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Do you do you agree? Uh, well, unfortunately, yes. So as as we saw with the sanction in two thousand fourteen, that there was a retaliation from the Russian. Uh, understandably, uh, it was a Russian measure, the ban to imports. So it was not a European measure, a ban to exports, obviously. So there is a lot of reactions. Uh, what I failed to mention before was that starting in 2014, uh, Russia started its own apple industry in the neighboring countries. So the central, South Russia, plus the uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, all the countries neighboring Russia started to make a very good business with European, but not only nurseries, importing apple trees and planting apples to supply Russia. So there's actually an oversupply, which was caused, obviously, it was a natural reaction of trying to fill in the gap of the European apples not going into Russia or other apples not going into Russia. So you have to consider at the moment, I do not see an easy solution and say, yeah, okay, we got it wrong and now it's solved and we will start making business again. So I think there will be a long, long situation and I don't really know how we can actually reroute all those fruits from all around the world. I visited uh, Moldova about 10 years ago. It was a project that was being uh, funded by USAID to try and develop uh, apple production in Moldova. And that was fruit that was destined, they were trying to get it into the, into the European market more than anywhere else. But they also looked at, at the Middle East um, as, a, as, a, as a, a, an export outlet. But th- this question about exports and, and as it were new markets, I remember after the 2014 ban, uh, Fabio, you talked about this a moment ago, how uh, growers and uh, exporting countries would look at new destinations for their fruit. There was this reliance on Russia, the Russian market was closed and they started then looking around the world Belgian pears into uh, into China, for example. What do we think might happen as a result of this uh, uh, of this current crisis in in Russia? Is there a um, as it were a, a need to look at new markets, safer markets uh, around the world? Yeah, what what uh, Fabio just said it's it's very interesting because before 2014, like for example, in the Middle East, you were only selling like European apples from Spain, from uh, France, and from Italy. After that, and after what just, just Fabio explained so brilliantly, you know, now when you go into the Middle East, you will find apples from 20 different origins that they weren't there like 10 years ago. And this is what I, this is what I um, mean by the tsunami effect. You have the epicenter here, but it's flooding some other. So the Middle East market where Italy uh, was at a very strong position, it's not an option anymore because when you call when you call the customers, they just said, "Listen, I have a Cervagenian apples, which are top top apples," and you get there in the market and you see that they're right, you know, and they're much cheaper, they're much closer, you know, um, and uh, same with Georgian apples, with Ukrainian apples, Moldova, a lot of countries that weren't in the business back then and now using, like he said, the European technology, they are they're uh, basically supplying the same kind of fruit at a lower price. Uh, this over over reliance on a on a single market or as a, a few markets that's surely one of the biggest lessons of this i mean we we saw that in 2014 
I think of, um, you know, those producers of ch cherries and chili who ship so much to China. Uh, are they sitting there thinking, well, this, I, I'm not suggesting for a moment there's a, a, war, a war is about to break out there, God forbid, but this reliance on a single market, do you think as, as fruit growers, as fruit exporters, will start thinking, yes, this diversification really needs to, to happen? Well, Chris, I think the, the, the important thing is to diversify as much as possible. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's been a, something that the Citrus Growers Association have been trying to do for four years. So, we you know, try and get as much of a spread as we can around the world. And we export to 119 different countries now. Um, so so we're not that we, we're still very reliant on the European Union market, mind you. There's still 35 percent of our product going there. So um, but that's a number of different countries and hopefully. Um, you know, if you do have an impact on one of those countries, member states, it's not going to impact on all of them. But it's an interesting thing when you do diversify as much as this, then you're impacted by everything, which is another way of looking at it. I mean, if you were only in the European Union, you wouldn't have to worry about Russia. Um, but uh, obviously, if, if, you, if, if that one market you're in gets impacted, then you're 100% out. So one must diversify, and, and, and that's, what, uh, that's what we've been trying to, to, to do as much as possible. And I think... Um, uh, the the South African citrus um, industry and the government here have got it right in terms of of diversifying our product into a number of different markets. Every single supply in country has a totally different situation, and it comes with to its uh, you know microeconomics economics on 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 each place. One thing is Argentina, totally different thing is um, Chile. We I mean we are, we are right next to each other. You know the difference that you will find in the food industry in one place or another. Uh, you will be amazed, and I guess you know it for sure. So it's not. I think, from my point of view, when people are over relying on a market, it's not because they want to, but it's just you know the opportunity. It's opening, and I think you're taking the opportunity as much as you can. When when you when you mentioned Chile, you know they are or they were making so much money. That even they were they were able to take the risk of of over relying in a market. In the case of Argentina, it's very hard to Argentina. First of all, for from its global position in terms of the logistics, you know, to reach other markets rather than Europe, the direct services that all the shipping lines have into Europe. Uh, fortunately, the lemon business, which is I haven't spoken about the citrus into Russia, which is we're just starting the season as we speak. And there's, again, a lot of uncertainty there. Thankfully, Argentina was able to open for the lemons the USA market after 25 years you know, of being banned. And that is, that you know, took a little bit or some of the pressure from the, from the Russian market for the Argentinian lemons. But now <laughs> it's bringing all the pressure into the US given the situation that is, that is happening here. So, you know, I think that is something that nobody wants just to get, you know, sober, uh, so reliable on, on, on only one market, but it's something that eventually it happens, you know, and, uh, and the only thing, because it happened with Europe, the only thing for you to realize that this is something that is not good is to have these unfortunate situations like the, the 2014 ban, which really, I mean, from my point of view, from, from a perspective from a guy in South America, I was saying, guys, you're relying too much into the Russians. But of course, it was a very simple business. It was a cash business. It was a truck business. They were taking, you know, every <laughs> every single fruit, cut two, cut three, and they were taking good volumes. 
I mean, why would you walk away from that? It doesn't make any sense because you're here. You know, this is about money, guys, in the end. So, yeah, and Chris, just to just to comment on the on the diversifying markets. You know, I don't know. If, I think most countries have the same experience. But if you want to open a new market, it takes you six to ten years um, in terms of the market access process. So you're starting now. You know, trying to get a new market, and then even once you you get that market open. Um, it takes a long time to build up the, the supply chains and the networks. Just as an example, when we opened uh, China in 2004, it took us 10 years and we went from 0 to 10,000 tons. And then, in, sorry, seven years. And the next seven years, we went up by 140,000 tons. So once you get the impetus going and the market, um, uh, um, the supply chain all sorted out, it takes off. But it's, it's, a, it's a hugely long, long process to get into a new market and make it work for you yeah i mean from a total difference per perspective one thing is it's a, running a business out of argentina where we always have to cope with all these problems that we have bringing money into the country and you know the restrictions that we are having at the moment that we have been having for the past 10 years is something that nobody in the northern hemisphere will ever imagine every time I, I we speak to our guys you know to our colleagues all the all the hustles that we have to face when dealing, when it comes to dealing with the money they just don't believe it. So from my perspective, you know, I think that that's the least concern concern at the moment. Money is always finding a way out. You know, it's just like water. The water, there's a small crack in the in the world. You know, the water just goes through there. The money, I mean, it will come through China. It will come through, you know, um, stable coins with blockchain technology. It'll come, I don't know, money will find a way. So that's from my point of view, is the least concern. You know, I'm I'm pretty much more concerned about what I've spoken before, is which is the devaluation on the on the ruble and the uncertainty. My 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 customers just told me, listen, if it's going to be 200 rubles per dollar, just and you're going to tell me that it's going to be there like for the next 10 years, it's okay. And that's basically what happened in 2014. You know, the exchange rate was 40 rubles per dollar, then it jumped to 80. And it stayed there like for seven. So, you know, and everybody was happy with that because everybody was bringing the prices up to that. So, Fabio, let me let me come to you about the logistics uh, issue. You talked a, bit, a little bit about it earlier. Um, what, what what are your thoughts about about this? Well, uh, as we were saying, uh, we, we live in a very connected world, so we could be able sometimes to cope with market closing and reopening if we add the logistics at the moment is not only a problem of price. I mean, the price is problematic because it, it actually kicks us outside some markets because we do not reach market price while other competitors reach market price. And then if I deduct the cost of the logistics and then the cost of serving the customers and then the increasing cost of the packaging, there's no more money for the apples. And that's obviously puts you simply out of the market or you get processing prices. Uh, on the other side is the availability. At the moment, uh, when you talk with fear and you ask for uh, containers for fruit, you are asking something that people don't want to hear. It's quite easier to take the space for dry containers and make a very good business because we, at the end, are selling a poor product. We are loading in a container 20 tons of something per 30,000 euros, 30, 40,000, whatever. Uh, now try to put Parma hams in that container, that 800,000 euros. 
So yeah, we'll pay 5,000 more, but get me the containers. So we are in a situation which is yeah, quite complicated. We are finding some possibilities. Uh, I'm really looking forward, and Juan said it very right, to the end of uncertainty. I cannot build new markets if I'm not sure what is happening also on the logistics side. Because then I should go left, and then tomorrow I see that there's an open door on the right. So I think at the moment we can only struggle. When we plant the trees, we know there's 20 years. So our investment span is 50 to 20 years. We never know what happens in between. New varieties, new customers, wrong sizing, uh, new packaging, whatever. So we're quite resilient as an industry, I would say, but it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher. Uh, let, me, let me say a couple of words. You said it at the start about uh, each one of us having Russian friends and colleagues. And I think we sell food. And food is very democratic. Uh, we're not selling champagne, okay, very good, but it may be limited to some elite. I'm selling apples, and we have all kinds of apples, all sizing, all prices, and all qualities. And I hope that even if this geopolitical situation gets worse or it doesn't solve uh, in a short time, we could also consider that food is some sort of very basic democratic right and should be somehow, you know, exempted or considered like a medical things, something different from cars, weapons, or something else. Hope so. And now we're all of us going to be meeting with many thousands of others in a few weeks' time in, in Berlin at uh, Fruit Logistica. And I, I thought uh, a few weeks ago, stupidly, that Fruit Logistica would be some kind of, you know, getting together, seeing one another. It'll all be nice and relaxed and we'll all be sitting there having a nice drink and uh, shaking one each other by the hand and... Uh, it sounds like Fruit Logistics is going to be quite a, well, it's going to be quite a, a how should I say, a get-together where we have to solve some pretty enormous problems. Uh, do you guys see it that way, Justin? Yeah, Chris, I, I think the what's really been interesting about this discussion is that everybody's got the same problems. You know, listening to Fabio there about um, availability of equipment, um, containers, uh, it's a huge problem for us. And we thought it was just because we sat here, in the southern tip of Africa, but uh, it looks like it's the same elsewhere. So we're gonna we're gonna have some real uh, interesting discussions um, in, uh, in in Berlin, um, and I think you know really one of the greatest things about Berlin is that we're gonna be together again. You know the one thing that's robbed us, uh, what COVID robbed us of, of, is the interrelationships and the networking and the interpersonal contacts. And we're in an industry that's very personal. Um, you know, people know each other and uh, people that uh, the exporters know the importers, they know their families, they get together three, four times a year. Normally they fly three or four times to, to their, their customers and meet with them and they can really have an in-depth discussion. And that's been, we've lost that for two years and we've drifted apart in a way. So I'm really looking forward to the fact that we can sit down at a table and really get to know each other again and discuss these these serious problems that are facing our industry at the moment. I would like to add something to what Justin said. When COVID took us off, you know, took us us off the um, the trade fairs and shows and everything, it brought us fruit box. You know, we wouldn't have fruit box without COVID, and that's a and that's a positive side of the of the pandemic. Just to end on a high note, you know, it's it just <laughs> it's good to have a laugh. That's very nice of you. You, you flatter me, but uh, thank you. Uh, Fabio, Juan, Justin, uh, our time is up and that's all we've got time for today. 
on Fruitbox. I was joined down the line from Fabio Zanesco of VIP. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. From Argentina by Juan Gonzalez Pita of Salix Fruits. Thank you, Chris. And from South Africa uh, by Justin Chadwick of the Citrus Growers Association. Thanks, Chris. See you all in Berlin. Thank you so much of, uh, for all of you for joining me today on Fruitbox. Now, you can find today's conversation, a longer conversation, a very interesting conversation, and the, and the many others I'm having here at, at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. I share every episode of Fruitbox on my profile on LinkedIn, so do connect with me there uh, and post any comments on what you hear, and please, please do reshare my post with your followers too. Don't forget to let me know what issues you want to hear discussed here on Fruitbox. Stay tuned and continue to make Fruitbox your regular listen. And of course, and in closing, we all hope and pray that this dreadful war comes to an end and that it comes to an end right now. Too many lives have already been lost. That was Fruitbox and this is Chris White. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. To sponsor a future episode, please email advertising at fruitnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fruitnet Live. And don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com. <laughs>